As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Hey guys, and welcome to this edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. Anthony Pagnotta along with you guys, as always, and we welcome in Josh Marlowe, who is back with us yet again. Buddy, how's it going? It's going great, pal. Just got done watching the Saints and Rams game, getting ready to watch Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady go off for probably the last time in their careers. It's been a great NFL Sunday, coming off a a disappointing college football Saturday in so many ways. Well, uh, yeah, no, I have to agree there. Of course, uh, the headliner here on this Sunday, well, it's got to be the fact that the greatest quarterback of all time, Mitch Trubisky, uh, had a, uh, well, a, a subpar game, but we'll blame that on someone else because nobody ever blames anything on Mr. Biscuit. So, um, you know, 41-9 uh, to nine win, though, uh, in all seriousness, not the greatest game from Trubisky, but... At this point of the season, that he's looked a lot better, I think, than he looked last year. Everybody can kind of see that. So it's encouraging to see that at least that team's 5-3. and three. And right now, believe it or not, Mitch Trubisky would be the quarterback going to the playoffs out of that NFC North division. So that'll be something to keep an eye on going forward. But as you mentioned, of course, the struggles uh, on Saturday started with the Tar Heel game. So, you know, that's the one, of course, that we're going to break down. And it starts, uh, you know, I, I think with talking about the struggles of Nathan Elliott. That's where everybody's going to turn to. Throws three interceptions uh, after not throwing an interception since the Cal game. 219 attempts without an interception. And then falls apart on Saturday. Not what they needed from him. And... Tutorials end up dropping yet another one after fighting back into the game. So, you know, I mean, we watched the game together uh, for a good portion before I ended up having to leave and fulfill my duties for um, the Charlotte Rush here, uh, a local hockey team that I interned for. But uh, for the most part, I got to see most of the game here, uh, every second of the game at least. And, uh, you know, we saw, you know, Nathan Elliott, Definitely didn't look uh, like the quarterback we've seen since that Cal game. Yeah, he. You know, we've talked the past couple of weeks about how he's even with all the deficiencies, had the Tar Heels and chance in, in in every game to win. They just didn't make the plays collectively as a group to win the game. And I think yesterday, you know, you can look at the defense and they gave, yeah they gave up thirty eight points and they gave up a big pass play and all this other stuff. But I, I thought yesterday Elliott really beat them with poor decisions, bad throws. Um, you know, you, you get back in the game after being down 18, which is not easy to make that kind of comeback against Georgia Tech and that triple option. And you throw the horrendous pick to pretty much ice the game. It was, it was just a really bad, bad day for him. Uh, I guess you could say he was due for it because he's, like you said, set the Carolina record, I believe, for consecutive uh, attempts without an interception, but I didn't imagine him throwing three uh, yesterday, so disappointed in his effort, but collectively, another game where Carolina was there late, uh, just didn't make a play, and at this 
last two straight years, it's getting frustrating. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, they had the turnover with the score tied at 28 apiece, a fumble uh, caused by Cole Holcomb, who had a fantastic day, and we'll talk a little bit about him uh, coming up. But, you know, yeah, you're right. Not able to capitalize. Again, the red zone offense just, you know, kind of hit and miss. It's still one of those things that I think is just leaving people scratching their heads, saying, you know, this team – has been in position to score so many more points than they've actually put on the board. And, you know, with Nathan Elliott struggling, I think that was part of the reason that they were unable to, you know, complete that drive. And now, I mean, you look back at at, at this game, you look back at the Virginia Tech game and the Syracuse game, and you say, look, I mean, that's the difference right now between this team being four and four and this team being one and seven. So they are close, but it's a lack of execution by both the players and the coaching staff. Coaching staff hasn't uh, made the right calls down uh, in those areas where um, you need, you know, guys to be able to score. I mean, we saw it again yesterday, you know, Um, one of the interceptions that was thrown, uh, you had, you know, Antonio Williams could have been in to carry the ball on first down and goal. You chose not to uh, go with him there. Or no, no, what, what am I talking? Not an interception wasn't thrown. I, all all mixed up there. Um, you saw it. It was third and goal from the one and a half yard line instead of Antonio Williams staying in the game after he was uh, out there for most of the drive. They choose that moment to uh, put Michael Carter in the game. That didn't work out too well um, because, well, it didn't matter because they didn't even run with Michael Carter. They ended up actually running a jet sweep with Anthony Ratliff-Williams. So just just terrible play calling. And then late in the game, it seemed, once again, uh, some questionable decisions, to say the least, um, from the offensive play calling. So at this point, you know, it's becoming a tired narrative. And, you know, they're, they're unable to close these games down. You gotta. I mean, I mean, at that point, you've got to look to the coaching staff and say, "Hey, what are we doing wrong? Why are we not able to close these games out?" Because you know, this team, while it still is young, you, uh, you got a feeling that they should have been. You know, they were in enough close games last year that usually that kind of flips the script the next year to where you're able to win those close games because you were in them last year. They're not doing that this year, and I think it just keeps pounding the narrative and keeps adding to the narrative that at this point, I think it's time to move on from Larry Fedora and this coaching staff. Yeah. Um, you, you, you can't move on from the players. So you, you got to make a change somewhere. Um, you know, I was talking to you a little bit before we got on the air about if you keep Larry Fedora, that's fine. Maybe Bubba mandate while you change what you're doing philosophically with your coordinators on both sides because the offense isn't where it needs to be, supposed to be in the defense. Quite frankly, we were big John Papuchas guys. Thought once Gene, you know, stepped away from football, he would elevate the defense because of what he did at Nebraska. Um, this isn't just simply hasn't happened. Um, and I wouldn't be opposed to that because I do think you got to stay loyal to Larry for what Larry did when he got the job with the NCAA crap. He was offered, rumored, the Tennessee job. Florida at one point was looking at him, and he stayed. So it wouldn't be easy to pull the plug. But, you know, something's got to change because, you know, 
the kids are, are putting the work in. I, just, I think it's more the coaching staff failing the players than the players failing the coaching staff. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you look at it and, and you know, outside now, they did have a pretty good game this weekend converting on third down, but third down play calling has been an issue. We've seen the red zone play calling struggles. Um, I mean, they almost did it once again later in the game. You had Michael Carter with the long run in the fourth quarter um, that, you know, to me looked like it was a touchdown. It probably was a touchdown, but they didn't end up giving it to him, but it was still first and goal from the one-yard line. And instead of running it on first and goal from the one-yard line, they decided to throw the football, and Nathan Elliott nearly threw another interception that could have cost them a chance to, at that point, tie the game. Um, luckily, they were smart enough to run the ball with Antonio Williams the next time on uh, second down, that was, and he took it right into the end zone. But it's just plays like that to just kind of have you sitting there saying, what in the hell is this coaching staff thinking at this time? I mean, you know, I don't know why they try to get so special with their offense. I mean, they're really, I think they think that they're throwing these defenses off when really they're just putting their guys in a bad spot to try to succeed. It almost seems at times like when they run a lot of these gadget plays as well, that the offensive line is simply confused and has no idea what's going on. So at this point, you just wonder if the offense is getting just a little bit too cute trying to make plays because defenses have figured out what this team wants to do. I mean, you look at a lot of these coaches in the ACC um, specifically in the ACC Coastal, and a lot of these guys have been around for a while. They've known Larry Fedora. They know what Larry Fedora likes to do. This isn't a conference where we've seen a lot of turnover, so they become very familiar with this offense, and I think it's like you've said, um, and this was one of the, the ideas that I thought, um, you know, coming into the year, I thought they should have done in the offseason, and I vocalized that throughout the offseason. I was wanting them to bring in just somebody with a little bit of a different, uh, you know, sort of opinion, something, you know, maybe just something that they bring different to the game plan from the outside, because right now, this just doesn't seem to be working at the moment. You know, Larry Fedora's offense was successful for a while, but once your offense gets figured out a little bit, then you have to bring in someone to change it up and, and, and just do some different things. Um, and they just they simply haven't done that. Haven't had an offensive coordinator since Seth Luttrell left for North Texas, um, which in today's college football is pretty much unacceptable. Nobody in college football uh, calls their own offense. It just doesn't happen. Um, not that I've seen. I, I don't remember any head coaches that call their own offense. I don't even remember really any right now that call their own defense. I think the only one that might, if I remember correctly, is Rocky Long, I believe, calls his own defense at San Diego State. But that's it. That's a mid-major program anyways. There's no Power 5 job on the planet that has their offensive coordinator as their head coach or their defensive coordinator as their head coach. So... At this point, you know, look, it's it's on Larry to make some changes here and adjust because everybody else around you has adjusted. Everybody's starting to elevate, uh, you know, what they're doing. And this is my thing for Tar Heel fans that are saying, well, maybe we shouldn't move on from Larry Fedora. Look at this ACC Coastal this season. Right now, this is the as wide open as the ACC Coastal is that I can remember. Even the year that we went 
um, 11 and 3. I really do think that we were a good football team. And for the most part, you felt like we were in control of the division throughout the entirety of the season. Right now, I don't feel like anybody's in control of the ACC Coastal. I mean, Pittsburgh, who is currently leading the Coastal, is the only team that we've beaten the whole year. So for them, um, that's looking like a huge blemish. Meanwhile, we are the only team that is out of the race at this moment. There are six teams that could still mathematically win the Coastal. And as of the moment, I believe, I'm not sure if we are fully eliminated. I believe we are, but I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to go and look. But, um, you know, that's one of those things that, to me as a Tar Heel fan, it has to just be unacceptable at this point. You, you came in with the mindset of winning six games, maybe seven games. And right now, if that team was on pace to win six or seven games, believe it or not, they might be on pace to actually win the Coastal and head to Charlotte. So there's got to be some standards here. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, there's no balance in this fan base. People either want this team to win 12 games a year and go to the national championship, uh, you know, game once or twice a decade, which makes absolutely no sense. Or they think, well, you know, we're a basketball school, so, you know, settling for a four-win football team is not the worst thing, which to me makes no sense either. We've seen that this team is capable. You brought it up last week and said that, you know, that we've always been seen as a sleeping giant, and that's true. It's time to actually act like one and, you know, go and hire a coach that, you know, can bring us to that next level before things get bad. I mean, I, I told you before we went on air, there is – one team that currently has a worse record over the last two years uh, in college football, uh, the, in the Power Five conferences, that is, excuse me, over the last two years. That's Oregon State, and that's it. That's it. Like, let that sink in. Teams like Illinois, better than us. Kansas, better than us. Baylor, who won one game last year, better than us. I mean, it's when, when is it going to, you know, kind of click with these fans that, hey, this is not acceptable at all. I'm interested to see when that uh, when, when that finally happens, because there's been a couple of guys today that I've argued with on Twitter. One of the guys who's a local radio host up in uh, Chapel Hill. And, you know, I respect his opinion. You know, that's that's his opinion. And if, if you're willing to bring the facts to the table, that's fine. But you've got to see the point of view that a lot of Toriel fans are seeing right now, which is, you know, we don't feel this is acceptable. We feel that there is a standard that needs to be upheld. And in order to uphold that standard and start winning games again, we need a change at the head coaching position. And I think people should be willing to accept that point of view uh, you know, I, I know we talked about this a little, and, um, you know, I, I guess we can stick on this for just a second. You know, what's your opinion when, when it comes to, the, you know, the mindset around this program right now? I think it's what it always should be is, and this has kind of always been my take as a fan. When I first started watching Carolina football, they were going 3-9 and nine and 4-8 and eight every year, barely beating McNeese State at home. So those years where Butch was going eight and five every year were pretty fun to me. Uh, when Larry got here, we went eight and four and six and six, seven and six, this, that, and the other. I think the the realist expectation is you win seven to eight games a year, routinely beat your 
your rivals in your backyard, Duke and NC State, which Larry hasn't done. And then on a year like this year where the Coastal is as bad as it is, you take advantage and you go to Charlotte and play for a conference title. I don't think 11-3 and three should be expected every year because the, that team didn't have marquee. The, the schedule wasn't great. I mean, they lost to a 3-9 and nine South Carolina team to start the year. So you can't say that they were a great team because, you know, they didn't do that. But I also don't think this program is as bad as they are with the 5-24 and 24 or 5-19 and 19 in the last 24 games or whatever the stat is. I don't think the program is that bad either. So I think if we could just all get on board, we win seven to eight games, and we do it in a fun, exciting way, which is what we kind of thought we were getting with Larry Fedora and the spread, and we take advantage of a down year in the Coastal when Miami and Virginia Tech aren't good and you make it to the conference title game, then I'll, I'll be okay with that. I mean, and it's... He's been, what, seven years? He's won the Coastal technically twice. His first year couldn't play in it because of self-imposed bowl ban by the, the university. So he's proven he can do it. It's just now that teams have adjusted to us and our style. Um, we haven't made the necessary adjustments um, in the offseason in the film room to counteract the defenses. And um, so that's what I've always thought. Seven to eight wins. Make it fun. Beat Duke and State, and at least when it's when it's November, you're still you're still waking up on Saturdays to watch Carolina football. It's not well. When does basketball season start? You know. Yeah, I, I think that's that's realistic, and that should be every fan's mindset. Um, you know, but like I said, these people, you know, this fan base is is all over the spectrum. Um, and they have no idea. I mean, the, the expectations for a lot of these fan ba- for these fans are just, uh, I mean, they're as frustrating as the coaching staff at this point. So, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think I could put it much better. I would say, yeah, I'd say seven to eight wins. Yeah, may, maybe even you could almost, I, I would even be okay with you leaning eight to nine if, if you're in that area. But seven to eight, I feel like, is a pretty good area because in the ACC Coastal, Barring someone finding a coach that settles in and really just takes over and is dominant, that's going to keep you around and potentially win you a couple of ACC Coastal titles. And then, yeah, I mean, being in contention at least in November is where you want to be when it comes to the Coastal. I mean, you would like to see them at least appear in the ACC championship game once every five years. I think that's a pretty realistic goal, um, especially considering that you have Duke, who's only been to the ACC championship game one time. And, I mean, let's be really honest, that's not really a team that you see as as a threat to win the Coastal, it seems like, really since that year. Like, they've they've always had some talent. They've won a lot of games outside of the conference. But once they get in conference, that's where they really start to struggle. And then Pittsburgh, yet to make it there. It, I, I mean, they may make it there this year, but I still don't feel like they will. Um, so it seems realistic that Carolina could be one of those 
four or five teams that just about every year should be competing for that ACC Coastal Championship. I'd like to see them right up in that same area as Virginia Tech and Miami one day. But, you know, it, it, it is going to take a little bit of time. I think that's part of it. One of the other things that you didn't you didn't mention, but I think you would also say you, you would like to see as well, is to at least have every year a top 30 recruiting class. You are inside one of the biggest hotbeds in the recruiting game right now when it comes to football in North Carolina. This state has grown to be one of the better places to go and get prospects, especially from the Charlotte area. So you've got to be able to control your own state. And, you know, also considering the fact that you have pipelines that have developed down to Florida and down to Georgia, there is a lot of talent down there. And you've gotten some pretty good talent out of there before. You've got to be able to keep that up. So having a top 30 recruiting class, I feel, is important. You look at the class where they sit right now, and this is one of my big things when it comes to how quickly this group has fallen off uh, coaching-wise. You know, last year, this staff brought in the number four recruiting class in the ACC, the number 20 recruiting class in the entire nation. This year, the class ranks 13th in the ACC, and is border, bordering on being 14th ranked because Syracuse, I think, as of right now, sits two spots behind us in the recruiting rankings. So that would mean that they would surpass us. We would be 14th. And currently, the 2019 Classics sits 60th in the nation without a four-star recruit or better in the class. The highest-rated player in the class is three-star running back, uh, Josh Henderson, who is a talent, as well as Giovanni Biggers. But outside of those two, really, there's a little bit of a drop-off. A lot of guys that um, you know are kind of in the, the, that middle of the three-star range, which you got to remember, there are a lot of guys that are rated as three-star three prospects um, by 24-7 Sports, which is where I get most of my information. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that's one of those big telling things. One of the things that's always worked well for Fedora and his staff, something that you can never criticize, is their work on the recruiting trail. They've always done a great job. To see that they're struggling now, I think that's one of those things where you kind of got to say, this might be the sign right here that things are coming to a halt pretty quickly. So it'll be interesting to see. There's still a lot of time left for them on the recruiting trail there. Um, but at the same time, you got to think a lot of guys now with the early signing period like to get their decisions out of the way early. And, you know, it, it's they're, they're running out of time here just a little bit. I mean, you got to think signing day is only about three months off. And with just 13 guys committed in the class, they they definitely have to get to work, especially on that defensive line where they need some guys. So um, we'll turn back because uh, we got off on a little bit of a uh, a tangent there for a moment. Um, just turn back and, and, and wrap up a couple of loose ends from the Georgia Tech game. I thought um, you mentioned the uh, great performance by uh, Cole Holcomb. Uh, fantastic. 22 tackles uh, in the game. Um, that is total tackles, 12 solo tackles, but still um, got to be up there uh, all time in Carolina defensive performances, um, as we you were talking about um, before we got on the air here. And then uh, the other thing was, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, three forced fumbles, that's got to be a Carolina record. I would think the total tackles has to be up there, too. So just a great performance from him. Alan Artis, a fantastic performance. 
Um, in his first game out there at linebacker, he was forced into action, ended up finishing with, I think, 14 tackles, if I remember correctly. Um, so he had a pretty good day for being put in the position that he was put in. Um, and uh, other than that, I think Michael Carter was another guy that deserved a little bit of recognition. Um, 10 carries, 68 yards. Seems like he's still that guy that needs to carry the bulk of the load because Antonio Williams continues to struggle. Um, you know, he's had a little bit of trouble here in the last couple of games uh, with his decision making um, when it comes to hitting those holes. So, with the offensive line really starting to have some struggles, they need a guy back there like Michael Carter who's a little bit faster, who's a little bit more you know, quick to decide where he's going to go. I think that could be the move going down the stretch. And uh, uh, Antonio Ratliff-Williams uh, with 103 yards receiving, so you have to shout him out with a great performance. Uh, probably his best of the season. I think got to be his best of the season statistically. Um, so... Uh, yeah. What? Any? Uh, anybody that stood out in in particular to you? Uh, you mentioned Malik Carney and what he did with the touchdown. Um, kind of his trademark. Um, when he gets fumbles. Uh, Jordan Brown kind of got more extensive carries yesterday and was productive. Um, but yeah, you you're pretty much right on. With the hammer on the nail, so I don't know. I'm good. Yeah, I mean, uh, really quickly, I just, I mean, I wanted you to be able to, to to talk a little bit about Cole Holcomb. I mean, that performance. I mean, you know, especially from a guy that you know we know his story. He was a former walk-on that ends up, you know, just kind of taking over. Um, they actually, you know, told the story a little bit yesterday on the broadcast about how there was a guy that had to come out because he lost his helmet. Holcomb got in there and was able to take a couple of reps and just kind of broke out. You know, what was it, you know, pretty, what, was it something a little bit special to see a guy like that, that, you know, we've, we've seen in this program for a while now and, and has really worked his way up through the program like very few have that good of a game? Yeah, I mean, you got to think story-wise on the team, he's got one of the better stories as to walk on and all that. Um, he's been a guy that I've been somewhat critical of. And maybe it's not all fair to him that he gets put in pass cover situations. So for him to come out yesterday and to really lay it all on the field when you're one and six and it's easy to quit, uh, the kid didn't quit, really gave us a chance to win a football game. Um, and, you know, Larry's done a good job of developing walk on since he got to Carolina. You know, Jeff Schottmer comes to mind in linebacker position. So. It was it was fun to watch, um, and hopefully can throw on that performance uh, next week at Duke. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we turn from that to one of the bigger storylines that's you know kind of came out of the Georgia Tech game, but really started developing a little bit before that, and that's the injury situation. Of course, last year we know that injuries were a massive part of the Tar Heel downfall. 23 guys missed the final game of the season with injuries, which has to be some sort of record. I don't think they keep stats on that, but that's got to be up there. Um, this season, of course, yesterday, coming into yesterday's game, 13 guys uh, that were on the uh, season opening roster were not uh, a part of the team yesterday uh, due to injuries. Uh, so there are some guys that are out for the season. Chaz Surratt, of course, as you know, he was the guy that was first declared out for the season. Then they had a few guys uh, such as Antoine Branch 
and Miles Wolfolk, who were declared out for the season a couple of weeks ago. Um, undisclosed injuries for those guys. Anton Green also was a guy that was declared out for the season um, after that Syracuse game. Of course, we know the reason why on him, the broken ankle. Uh, and then uh, earlier this week, we found out that KJ Sales will be out for the season. Again, not sure what the injury is to him, I believe. Um, just from kind of looking around a little bit and seeing what he was posting on social media, might be a leg injury. Um, but we do know that he is out for the season. Some other guys that have missed significant time, of course, the uh, starting quarterback in the game against Virginia Tech, Cade Fortin, remains out with a leg injury. Um, as always, not much information on what that is. Uh, because it's not season-ending, they won't release anything officially on that. Um, the rumor was that he was seen around campus um, the week uh, of the Syracuse game with a knee brace on. So it's believed to be some sort of um, like more, you know, mid-level leg injury. So it'll be interesting to see if he does return this year. One and seven, they might just say, you know, scratch it. Let's just focus on, uh, you know, getting him healthy for next season and uh, give him the red shirt. Um, Jace Reuter, who ends up coming into the game, and we'll talk about him in a minute, um, he ends up getting injured as well. Um, so now, potentially, uh, and, and they believe uh, the injury is serious enough that he could be out for the season, um, which is pretty amazing because the play that they do believe he suffered the injury on was a run up the middle, his last uh, rush attempt of the game, where he took a hit that some people uh, thought could have been targeting. Um, they, they are saying that it was an arm injury. So if it was an arm injury, he actually finished that game out or excuse me, the drive out, um, with a touchdown pass. So that's pretty sensational to stay in there, uh, with an arm injury. And then the defensive line alone, um, right now just getting destroyed by injury, uh, guys that have been on and off the field all year in Aaron Crawford and, uh, Jalen Dalton Crawford has played roughly around 10 snaps the entire season. Um, so it seems like he's pretty much scrapping this year and he'll probably end up coming back next year, which, you know, is, is I guess, a good thing for the Tar Heels because there were some people that were worried that his draft stock had reached an area over the offseason where he might leave if he played a significant amount of time this year. So uh, if you're, you know, thinking maybe next year we can get this turn back in the right direction. Having him will definitely help. Uh, Jalen Dalton missed the game uh, on Saturday after playing the previous two, but he's had um, some leg injuries that he's been going through as well uh, throughout the entire season. Alan Cater suffered a leg injury that was pretty severe. Um, they're not saying that he's out for the season, but from what it seems, he more than likely he won't return probably until the game against State. Maybe against Western, but again, that's that's a little bit of a stretch with how severe they think that injury is. Jason Strobridge goes down with an injury in the game uh, against Georgia Tech. Of course, he played well early in the game and then got injured yesterday. Uh, didn't see him for most of the second half, uh, if not all of the second half. And then Timon Fox, of course, uh, was on suspension. I believe he will be back for the rest of the season, so that will help. But 
Um, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys dealing with injuries, even guys like Tyler Powell. We've seen him go down a couple of times, but he's still stayed out there. Malik Corney's had a couple of times where he's come up limping. Tyrone Hopper's been trying to shake a, you know, a couple of injuries off. And then yesterday at the linebacker position, you had Jonathan Smith out, Jeremiah Gemmel out and Malik Robinson out three guys that all ran as the inside linebackers in camp. Alan Ordish was actually subbed in, but Alan Ordish has never played inside linebacker in his entire career. He was a guy, remember, that was originally brought to Carolina as a safety. They had to move him inside to linebacker, um, not only uh, you know down to linebacker, but also inside for yesterday's game against Georgia Tech. Also, uh, one thing that was interesting, Jonathan Sutton out injured as well, the running back who used to be a former linebacker. So that meant that Javante Williams, the true freshman running back, um, a guy that pretty much only exclusively played running back in high school, played a little bit of safety, I believe as well. He was actually warming up with the linebackers yesterday. So uh, all of that, that that should be a, a little bit concerning to Tar Heel fans, and that doesn't even mention guys uh, like C.J. Cotman, who hasn't played in a while as well, on the back end of that defense. So, you know, I just read off that huge list of injuries. Uh, it seems like this is starting to become something like last season. I don't think it's quite on that same level, but at the same time, I mean, it, it there's got to be some concern right now with just the amount of guys that are injured, right? Yeah, it's it's very frustrating, um, concerning. It, it you know you hate it for the guys that are getting hurt. Um, you know, sales, like you said, was having a pretty good start to the year before the injury, and so many other guys. Crawford was supposed to be a leader on this team, just can't can't get on the field. Um, you know, I've I've kind of made some comments that you gotta look to maybe getting a new strength and conditioning guy because these injuries are unprecedented. Um, so when you, when you, and you, you know, we were still dealing with suspensions this week from the off season stuff. So you had the, the suspensions and then the injuries. I mean, the front seven was pretty thin on Sunday or Saturday. And when you're playing Georgia tech, you, that's the one place you can afford to be thin. So yeah, it's, you know, you still got emotional games against Duke and state and we're not going to be fully healthy. Um, it's, it's going to make it harder for us to win those kind of games that could, either keep Larry Bedore his job or cost him his job. Yeah, and I mean, the, the the most frustrating thing, I think, with the injuries is that it's attacked the one position on the hardest, which is the defensive line. It's the position that, you know, we really kind of looked at midseason and said, look, this has been the best unit on the entire team. And really, over the last two or three weeks, that unit has just lost so many guys, so many talented guys down there. And I mean, look, those guys are still fighting. You're seeing guys like Chris Collins, the true freshman who has been thrown into action down there. Zach Gill made a play. Uh, I believe he actually recovered one of the fumbles yesterday afternoon. He's getting some reps down there. Those were the first reps of his entire career yesterday. So you're seeing these guys being rotated in and look, they've responded, but you know, losing some of these big time leaders like that, especially a guy like Jason Strobridge, who has been playing so well this season after what was a little bit of a slow start here. These last four games are about as good as any defensive tackle that we've seen in the entire country uh you know here recently and then you know you look at guys like you mentioned Aaron Crawford just can't get on the field so much talent there 
and Alan Cater showed some signs of breaking out. So that's the area where I think it, a lot of people are just saying, man, can we stay healthy? Because there is talent here. It's just we can't keep it healthy. And the coaching staff, when it is healthy, isn't putting them uh, in the right positions to succeed. So, um, yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. And I don't know if a lot of other people will get this reference, but I know you will. You know, it's it seems somewhat similar to a few years ago. We had a very similar simu, uh, situation at the uh, at, with our Major League Baseball team. We're both New York Met fans, and it seems like it, it's somewhat similar similar to that. Where you know, I don't think it's all on the strength and conditioning staff. I mean, look, you know, these guys look they're they're some of the best in the business. Trust me, we don't know anything compared to these guys. Um, I mean, look at look, look at us. I mean, we can barely run a 40 without almost falling over and needing some Oreos to wake back up. So, um, you know, I, I, I think but but it, it, it seems kind of similar to that situation where there were just so many guys getting injured back to back seasons where you said there's got to be a change because right now something's just not working that they're doing. It's not to say you guys don't know how to do your jobs or anything like that. It's just we need to move in a different direction here and maybe try something a little bit different because right now, you know, the the program that they're going through just isn't working for these guys specifically. It's not working with what the coaching staff is wanting to do. Is, is that maybe what you're trying to hit on there? Yeah, I mean, and some of it, you know, you can put blame on the players, whether they're not making all their rehab appointments or they're not doing what they're supposed to do when they're not having eyes on them. I don't think that's the case. So I just think, you know, it's been seven to eight years now. And it could be freak accidents or just a, a, a back-to-back years of just, you know, freak stuff happening. I don't think that is, though. Um, and, you know, all the guys support Hernandez. I know Larry thinks highly of them, but, I mean, at some point, you, you, you want your, fo- your football team healthy. And we, we're just, we haven't been healthy the last two years, and ultimately that falls on him. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, with, the, with that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to move away uh, from the injuries, and uh, we'll try to move on um, to this week's uh, debatable topic. We had a little bit of trouble um, coming up with uh, the debatable topic, but um, I think you know we'll 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 go back to the quarterback situation, um, and, and really we'll do this. One of the guys that I was uh, conversating with on Twitter earlier today, um, he's pretty much already said that he believes that with Cade Fortin, with Jace Reuter, um, it, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that. Uh, this team next year will take a huge step forward offensively. Um, he feels like this could be one of the best offenses in the entire ACC next season um, because he believes that these guys are superstar talents. Um, I'm pumping the brakes just a little bit on that. Um, I think at the moment, you know, when you look at those two guys, they definitely bring a lot to the table. But he also brought up Kelly Bryant, and this was the topic that I want to talk about just a little bit. Kelly Bryant on campus yet again this weekend, um, you know, seems to like what he's seeing about Carolina. My question is, is with, you know, when you look at his stats, I, I, I urge people to go and look at his stats throughout his career. They are very similar to the statistics that Brandon Harris was putting up at LSU, and you know, I, that, I just wonder whether or not 
he was a bit of a product of what he had at Clemson. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, LSU had a lot of talent around Brandon Harris, and the wins weren't there like Kelly Bryant has. But, um, you know, I, I do kind of wonder whether or not Kelly Bryant really is that guy that can come in and make us an automatic coastal contender like it seems everybody else is thinking. You know, I wanted your opinion on this. I know you've seen, you know, of course, the fan base going all out to try and land him. And I think, you know, you might be in the same boat as me, but what, what do you, what, what is your mindset around the Kelly Bryant situation in Chapel Hill? Same as when we did the whole Brandon Harris thing, I wasn't a fan. Um, I think for one, it, it, it shows a lack of faith in the guy that you recruited. It says, you know, so if, let's say Larry's on board and you're, this is the second time now in three years we're going to transfer out to get a quarterback. Um, you're telling all those guys you recruited that, well, we don't have enough faith in you to get the job done. And I, I just think you put Kelly Bryant in an environment that he doesn't have Davos when he is his head coach and five stars at the offensive line, the wide receiver and running back position. How good is he? Um, I think you'll find out he's probably a, a mediocre quarterback at best. Now, he could probably get us to a bowl game. But the fans that believe that he's the guy that puts us back in contention to compete for an agency championship, I'm not going that far. Um, so, with that said, I would rather stay away with him. I think he's going to Arkansas anyway. But and, and stick with the guys you have in your room because from what you saw with Porton and with Reuter before they both unfortunately got injured, you have something you can build off with. And that's what I think I'd roll with if I was Larry Fedora and the coaching staff. So let me let me ask you this. If Fortin and Reuter were not on the roster, let's say that we didn't know what they were going to be. They were coming in maybe this year instead of last year. Would you have a little bit of a different opinion if it was just Chad Surratt and, uh, and Nathan Elliott on the roster for next year? Would that maybe change absolutely. it? Yeah, absolutely. What you have with Surratt and with Elliott. Um, Surratt has more physical tools, but his decision making isn't where it needs to be. Um, Elliott lacks the physical tools, and his decision making isn't much better. And you've won four games with those guys starting uh, games for you. So if if you didn't have the youth at the coming up, then yes, I'd, I'd probably be more inclined to signing. Or accepting Kelly waiver or Kelly to uh, transfer in. Okay, yeah, okay, that makes that makes some sense. So you you are of the belief at least that Cade Fortin and Jace Ruder are the guys going forward. You believe one of those can get us at least back to a, a level of being more competitive than Kelly Bryant would if he was under center. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's. That's a fair argument. I think, um, you know, when you look at it, of course, everybody's going to want to say, well, he's a proven guy when it comes to wins and losses. And I think that's a fair argument. I mean, a guy that knows how to win is always something good to have in your room. And I, I think that, you know, the comparison number-wise to Brandon Harris makes sense. But, you know, it was like I, I, I was telling you just a little bit, you know, I, I think that they are two completely different quarterbacks. Kelly Bryant was not benched at Clemson because he wasn't good. Kelly Bryant was benched at Clemson because somebody behind him was better. 
Brandon Harris was benched at LSU for a guy named Anthony Jennings who uh, was not good. Uh, being plain and simple, he was complete garbage. Um, and the fact that he was benched for him should pretty much show you what, yeah, you know, how just how much of a difference there is between the two. Um, Brandon Harris is just simply not a college quarterback. I think that Kelly Bryant is, but at the same time, I will agree with you on the fact that, look, I don't think that he is going to put you immediately back into coastal contention. And, I mean, you mentioned, you know, five-star offensive linemen not being around him. I think that's the area where it would hurt the most, not having that dominant offensive line like he's had at Clemson. I mean, there are a couple of good pieces on the offensive line if both William Sweet and Charlie Heck stay. Those are two very good pieces on the outside at offensive tackle to anchor your offensive line. But then when I look at the talent at the skill positions, I think the running back position has some pretty good talent with Antonio Williams more than likely returning. Michael Carter, Jordan Brown will probably both be back. or Well, Michael Carter no doubt will be back. Um, Jordan Brown might be back. And then at the wide receiver position, you're scheduled to return everybody. Um, significant, you'll lose Thomas Jackson, but Thomas Jackson really hasn't been all that effective so far this year. So not the biggest loss for you, but with Anthony Ratliff Williams looking like he's going to stay, uh, in what seems to be a still a relatively pretty crowded wide receiver draft. It seemed like for the last few years, it's been very packed at that position. And once again, this year, it looks like another great class coming out more than likely he'll probably stay behind. I think there's enough talent there that Kelly Bryant could do some things. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that him coming there is going to return this offense to, let's say, that Marquise Williams level. Now, you know, his running ability definitely helps. But, um, you know, I, I'm interested to see, you know, if, if some of these playmakers would be able to break out. Um, I think, you know, right now, you know, you said you, you think he's going to Arkansas. I'd agree that I think that's probably one of the teams that is the top competitors for him to Carolina. I would say right now, in my eyes, it's them in Carolina because you've got the connection with Chad Morris there. So that's what I think drives him uh, there. He gets to play in the SEC. There is some talent around him there at Arkansas, but at the skill positions, I'm pretty confident in saying that I feel like we bring a little more to the table. So it'll definitely be interesting. And I also wonder if the, you know, the factor of potentially being able to play Clemson in an ACC championship game could be another thing that drives him to Carolina. Um, I mean, I'm not that guy that's going to say, hey, you know, if he wants to come to Carolina, we need to tell him no. But at the same time, if we don't end up landing him, I don't think it's the end of the world. I really like what I've seen from Cade Fortin. I think he's got a big arm. Really like uh, his footwork, especially for a younger player. And then for Jace Reuter, I just like the way he throws the ball. He throws a hard ball. Um, we saw him yesterday. He had a couple of throws deep. And while they were a little bit underthrown, and that was a little bit of my concern with him, was the arm strength. He's definitely got a stronger arm than Nathan Elliott. And he looks like a guy that you know, he's really just a tough-nosed player. I mean, he took a couple of hits. Now he's going to have to learn how to slide. That's one of the things that they're going to have to teach him because I don't think he knows what a slide is at all. He didn't seem like he's ever heard that word in his life. He was literally running head-on at defenders. 
And in order to stay healthy, he's going to have to be a little bit smarter, be able to get down um, and avoid some of those big hits. But, you know, I think both of those guys definitely show the mechanics that they need to be successful. So, yeah, I, I agree that, you know, Kelly Bryant isn't a must, but let, let me say this. Would you be opposed to Kelly Bryant coming to Chapel Hill if he if he comes in there? I mean, even if he gets beat out by one of the guys, you know, Cade Fortin or um, Jace Reuter, I mean, I, I, I'm not opposed to him coming on campus. I, I don't think you are either, though. No, it, I mean, I, when I say I don't want him, it's not because – I don't mean it negatively. If he comes to Carolina, he's going to bring – um, championship-level experience in that quarterback locker room. So you would think it would be a good mentor for guys like Fortin and Reuter, um, where Brandon Harrison kind of had that kind of pedigree. But when, when Brandon Harris came and we met, we met him at Met the Heels, it was shook his hand, welcomed him to the, to the, the team and the community. And I did the same thing for Kelly Bryant. It's just I don't think that's the best way to fix the issues that the, the quarterback position currently has. Um, and, and that's all I'll say about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I understand what you're saying is, you know, bringing in a transfer is pretty much seen as a stopgap. And, you know, you're just one of the you, – you, that's basically saying, hey, we're, we're really struggling recruiting the position at the moment. We have to get a guy uh, from the outside that can come in and help us out until we can potentially recruit that next guy. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, you look at the recruiting classes right now, as of right now, if the, if the class stands where it's at, this will be the second year out of three that they will not bring a quarterback in. So, I don't know, Kelly Bryant may end up having to come to Carolina if, uh, you know, they don't bring in another guy. I mean, you got to think at that point, I mean, Nathan Elliott and Chad Surratt will both be on the roster. Um at least as of the moment, there have been some weird rumors out there. I don't know how much truth there is to any of them that Chad Surratt could end up looking to transfer. So I don't know. I mean, uh, right now they're definitely struggling to recruit that quarterback position. I think that goes back to when they lost Tyler Shook's commitment um, earlier last year. So, uh, I mean, I, it's, it's one of those things, but uh, we'll see as we get a little bit closer towards the uh, end of the recruiting cycle, um, that should be when Kelly Bryant will make his decision on where he will play next year. Carolina, of course, uh, with the unofficial visit a couple of weeks ago during the Virginia Tech game and the official visit um, this uh, past Saturday um, during the Georgia Tech game, they seem like one of the teams in the driver's seat. So with that, we will turn and uh, preview the game this week, and it's a big one against the Duke Blue Devils. And as you've mentioned, you know, a team that Larry Fedora has not quite had the same success as many coaches before him. Duke comes in as a 12-and-a-half point favorite. The reason that I bring that up is because this is the first time that Duke will be a, uh, a double-digit favorite over the Tar Heels since 1989. So uh, nearly 30 years, 29 years since the last time that happened. And uh, that's something that I think a lot of people should not take lightly and should see as, you know, hey, this is the direction that a lot of people outside of the program think this program is headed, that uh, they have Duke that many points better than us. 
you know, when I, I guess when you start jumping into it, I mean, this is a rivalry matchup. It's kind of been one of those ones that's been all over the map with Duke. We've seen some great performances, um, like the Thursday night game when we walked in there with the chrome helmets and beat them. And then, uh, of, of course, Marquise Williams uh, with the massive game at home uh, the next year against them in the 2015 season where he throws for um, the most yards in his entire uh, career in one game. He threw for 400-plus in that game um, before being pulled late in the game. Uh, so, you know, when you look at it, I, I wonder, you know, what, what what's your mindset going into this game? Because it doesn't feel really like Duke has been playing all that well. I know they won this past Saturday over Miami, but really they, they haven't played well since getting into conference play. I think it's what it is almost every year on the football side of things. Um I think it'll be a good game because it's really never a bad game, even when the programs in the old days weren't very good. Um, I think you're going to see Carolina come out and fight as they've fought all year long. Um, and you, everyone thinks back to last year. I think if, if Toe Groves never suffers the brutal injury he has, Carolina was well in that football game, and the injury just kind of sucked the life out of the team, the stadium. And it was hard for them to emotionally recover. So I think it's going to be another another game in the fourth quarter where Carolina's going to have to make a play if they want to win. I don't see Duke blowing us out, and I don't see us blowing Duke out. Um, so I think it's just going to be a typical game of what's, what it's been since Larry got to Chapel Hill. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's that's pretty accurate, especially against them. You know, we've seen I, – I, I can't remember the last time that we've been in a game outside of that 2015 game where one side really dominated the other side. And, and I mean, you know, you take that for what it is. I, you know, that's, that's at least at this point a good thing for the Tar Heels heading into this game. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a, another close game. I feel like – you know, neither team is really playing all that great. Something big that came out yesterday, it uh, looks like Joe Giles Harris, at least, um, his status is questionable as of the moment as he was shaken up yesterday in their game against Miami. So that's their all-ACC linebacker that potentially goes down. Daniel Jones really hasn't looked the same since returning from injury um, back uh, earlier in the season against Virginia Tech. Um, they haven't gone back to Quentin Harris just yet, but Daniel Jones still looking a little bit up and down, so it'll be um, you know interesting to see what type of performance he's able to put on. The running game hasn't really been as effective as it's been in past years, so yeah, I think that the Tar Heels have a chance uh, in this game for sure. I'm interested to see how the defense responds. You know, 461 yards on the ground was a lot for sure. Um, but you're playing Georgia Tech and really with, with a team that has as many injuries as they have on the defensive side of the football right now. You know, yeah, part of that, I think, that that was shown in that game. And they did a good job of being able to keep themselves in the game um, by – forcing turnovers. I think that was the biggest thing that Carolina did. I would like to see that again. Um, Daniel Jones is one of those guys that, yeah, he has those stretches where he takes care of the football pretty well, but he also has had some stretches so far this season where, you know, when he gets under duress, he turns the football over and that's what we need to do once again. You know, we've created these turnovers here in these games that we've been close in and that's definitely held to at least give us a chance to win these games. I mean, we've seen them both uh, or, or against Virginia Tech. We saw it against Syracuse as well. 
And again, we saw it this past weekend against Georgia Tech. So that's going to be one of the keys. And one of the other keys, I think, again, you've got to be able to convert on third down. They did a good job this past weekend against Georgia Tech. They were 8 of 14, which is so much better. Over 50% is fantastic. And the fact that they came in having uh, converting at just a 31.6% clip, that makes it so much sweeter. So hopefully they're able to allow that to happen again. They've got to be disciplined on the offensive side of the ball as well. The offensive line has to stay out of trouble like we've seen them uh, get it themselves into so far this season with holding penalties, with false start penalties. We've seen so many pre-snap penalties that have just been frustrating. And that's not only on the offensive line. The wide receivers, believe it or not, have had some trouble with false start penalties. And you also have to be able to prevent your offense from being backed up because of an inability to run the football. We saw that a little bit on Saturday, especially early in the game, um, where simply the offensive line was just being blown by on those first down run plays. Running back gets dropped in the backfield for a two or three yard loss. And that sets you up in second down and 13. Basically, at that point, you have to throw the ball the next two plays. Or if they are running it again, yeah, maybe you get three or four yards, but you're setting up a third and nine. I thought as the game progressed, especially with Jace Reuter in there, they did a very good job of at least being able to make it third down and short, and that's what allowed them to convert. I mean, one of the best drives of the day was that 15-play uh, drive, 15-play, uh, 64 yards, the first drive that Jace Reuter was in there. Now, it did result in a field goal, but um, they did convert multiple third downs on that drive because they were in those third and short situations. So that's one of the things they're going to have to do once again against a defense in Duke that – you know, when healthy, they are a pretty stout defense. They are going to miss some key pieces, but you can tell that they are one of the more technically sound defenses in the entire ACC. So the Tar Heels have to be ready to come and play. What are your keys to the game, uh, if, if any of them are outside of the ones that I've already listed? I think mine are pretty much the same every week. Run the football, stop the run. You're on the road against a rival. So maybe you use the formula you had this week with forcing turnovers and, and force a couple um, at Duke and, and, and hope your quarterback, you know, makes a play or two in the fourth quarter to win you the game. That's pretty much what it is at this point when you're one and seven. There's not a whole lot to say what to do. What It's just more you take care of the basics and you'll put your, you'll give yourself a chance to win. Um, they've done that the last four games for the most part. They just haven't completed it. they got to play a full 60 minutes, and, 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 and hopefully when the clock strikes zero, they'll, they'll find a win. Yeah, I hope so. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, a 1-7 and seven on the season, not what they need, uh, not, not what they've been hoping for. And for Larry Fedora, that would be huge to add a rivalry uh, victory over the Duke Blue Devils, who currently in his tenure, he is just – uh, two and four against. That is uh, not the stat that he was hoping for when he came to Carolina. Um, currently a better record against State, but not by much. So um, with that, we will turn to our official predictions for this week, powered by HustleHandsWorldwide.com. HustleHandsWorldwide.com, your place to find the latest Hustle Hands apparel, a company owned by fellow Tar Heel Chad Boucher, Hustle Hands TV, 
uh, worldwide podcast on every Wednesday night at 7.30. Check it out on the Hustle Hands TV Worldwide uh, Facebook page. And, uh, you know, just, uh, of course, if anybody needs to get in contact with Chad, just let me know. I will set you up uh, with everything that you need. Hustle Hands Apparel uh, and Hustle Hands, it's a uh, way of life, um, not just a saying. So uh, we turn and uh, I guess we'll start with you, as always. Uh, you do the outright prediction. So uh, why don't you start us off, man? Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm 0-2. Since I've started coming on every week, because I picked them to win and I picked them to lose, I believe. I think, I think they'll find a way Saturday to get a win. Um, I think you'll see the team play for Coach Bedora. You know, the, this class. You know, we've lost two in a row to Duke. So for the seniors, I want to lose to Duke in their final game against the the rivals from eight miles down the road. Um, Duke, like you said, hasn't been playing well. Very inefficient. They got a good defense. Um, so I, I think Carolina finds a way to win 27 to 24. They improve to 2 and 7, get that second winning conference, and, and try to finish the last three games of the season strong. Yeah, well, I'm looking at the line right now. And I thought it. I, I thought I saw online that it was twelve and a half. I think it might have been ten and a half. I think you know. Again, it's all over Vegas. Everybody has different lines, but I think as of the moment, it is ten and a half, or at least that's where it did open. I'm um, in favor of Duke, so I'm going to take Carolina to cover that. Um, even if they do lose this game, we've seen in the past they've always been close affairs. It's never been blowouts really outside of that 2015 game, like I mentioned. But, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of have the feeling like you do. I don't like the time slot. It seems like that 12-20 time slot, we just we haven't been good in that time slot for years. Um, they just they, they, It's pretty simple. They don't like playing that early in the afternoon. I, I don't understand why, but for some reason they don't. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think on the road at Duke, I feel like, you know, there is going to be, a, you know, a little bit of pressure on them. I think they know what's going on, you know, media-wise, uh, what's being said about them, what's being said about Coach Fedora. And, yeah, I think, you know, these guys want to keep playing. They, they, they're still playing hard. That's one of the things that you've never questioned about uh, this Carolina team over the past two seasons I think you're right. I'm, I'm going to go with you. I think they find a way to pull one out um, on the road at Duke. So, you know, they get the cover. They get the outright win. Uh, you know, that would be huge, especially for Larry Fedora. Maybe there's a little momentum that you can gain from that as well because then Western Carolina comes up and then you'll finish the year, of course, with State. So there's a chance to build something here if you can win on Saturday. Uh, and I think they get it done. I think they find a way on the road and travel back home. At two and seven. So, uh, any other loose ends before we uh, tie this thing up for uh, this uh, presentation of the podcast? Nope, I'm all talked out, buddy. All right, man. So, uh, with that, uh, of course, we want to thank you guys for listening, as always. Uh, but this is going to do it for this episode of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Uh, I want to thank Josh, as always, for stopping by and co-hosting with us uh, here tonight. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn.com or the TuneIn app. 
this weekend's game against the Duke Blue Devils kicks off at 12:20 on where else but Raycom Sports Network or the ACC Digital Network Extra on the Watch ESPN app. Tom Worm and Dave Archer will be on the call. Tom Worm actually liked my tweet from the other day saying that he should buy a house in Chapel Hill because I'm assuming that he feels like he has called just about every possible North Carolina game uh, that he can call this season. If you want to listen to it on the radio, though, of course, you know who will be on the call. Jones Angel and Brian Simmons will be on the call once again for the Tar Heel Sports Network. That's 99.3 FM and 11.10 AM WBT in Charlotte, 97.9 FM and 13.60 AM WCHL in Chapel Hill, and 106.1 FM WTKK in Raleigh. For others, please check your local listings. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, Go Tar Heels!